Hello everybody and welcome back to Media Voices. This season we're doing something slightly different and we're doing episode-long deep dives into all the topics that we're going to be covering in our upcoming Media Moments 22 report. So we're doing 10 episodes and this time we're looking at subscriptions and membership. I'm Chris Sutcliffe. I'm Esther Thorpe. And I'm Peter Houston. And we're delighted to say that we're going to be bringing in an expert every single episode to give insight into the discussion of the day. And so this week, we're joined by Anthony Ribeiro, who is the audience conversion consultant at Pool, helping a wide range of media companies to optimize their conversion and revenue strategies through the use of their suite of products. Uh, he's got a strong background in outbound acquisition, content marketing, and SEO for both brands and media companies. Anthony, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Of course, and actually we have to give you a, a separate thanks because this season and the Media Moments 2022 report as a whole wouldn't be possible without Pool's support. So they're, as I mentioned, that membership and subscription suite, and they've actually just announced a 4 million euro fundraising round to support digital content creators in converting, managing, and retaining members and subscribers, which obviously is incredibly relevant to the discussion today. Drinks on you then. <laughs> Um, so yeah, why don't we kick this off? Because obviously we talk about subscriptions and membership in depth every single time we do this report. But this year in particular, I think there's so much to talk about just in terms of trends. I think the the biggest thing that we've seen come up is that there's been a lot of talk of sort of peak subscription. And, and I think this, this is almost inevitable from the minute subscriptions really sort of had a rocket put up them from the pandemic. People saying, oh, you know, when's it going to peak? When's it going to peak? And um, given that we're like sort of, at the beginning of a recession now, um, the global economy seems absolutely trollied. Now is the time that people seem to sort of be saying, well, are we actually now reaching that point of peak subscription? Um, we've seen earlier this year, I know we've mentioned in previous episodes, subscriber numbers at Netflix, Amazon and Disney Plus have fallen for the first quarter of this year. Um, and the uh, the International News Media Association also recently released a benchmarking service um, saying that they'd noticed a recent spike in cancellations. Um, I don't necessarily think saying we've reached peak subscription is entirely fair. Um, over to the rest oh, of you, because I'm just putting putting one side out there. I don't necessarily agree with it. I think the big thing with, with all of this is the classic publishing industry bandwagon jumping thing. Um, you know, Netflix and Disney and Amazon, and all, they aren't actually that relevant. It's a different thing. It's completely different, yeah. Um, so the fact that everyone goes, oh my God, Netflix lost subscribers. It's just kind of nonsense. Viewpoint is growth was so big through the pandemic that now it's kind of just returning to normality. Mm. And that's where people have got to be, you know, they've got to be realistic. There's not endless growth in these markets. You can get so many people in and then... You can maybe find some new ones, but it's really, and I'll talk about this in a bit, but it's all about keeping the ones you've got. I so, Anthony, from what you've seen, is that is it the case that we're now in that kind of regression to the mean phase? Uh, and how did we actually manage to capitalize on those past couple of years of huge subscription growth? Yeah. So, yeah, to me, I think there's like two key revenue changes for, at least for publishers, not necessarily for, uh, you know, digital subscription at large, but for for, for media companies, I think there are two things that there, there was clearly a rush to, um, to use a, you know, subscription model because of the peak of the pandemic, the peak of, you know, in terms of audience and so on. And also the urgency to develop a more predictable and, uh, and sustainable revenue stream. 
So that was that. And also a lot of competition from the companies you, you just mentioned, but, you know, subscription at large, uh, music, entertainment, even, you know, food, uh, uh, many, many new things that weren't there before. And also the advertising revenue have kind of fluctuated and it's, you know, can be threatened. Of course, it's not hundred percent reliable. So that was to me, those two things that were really important over the last couple of years. Um, and now these companies are starting to diversify. And in particular, one thing I find interesting, and uh, that's also the case for uh, Netflix, for example, is, is mixing the revenues between advertising and subscription. Um, I knew. I sorry. I knew Peter was going to start nodding at that. That's always been Peter's thing: is that mix of revenue. It, have we seen then a sentiment shift and a wider recognition, not just among the kind of those entertainment subscriptions, but some of those newsletter subscriptions that you can do both? To me, I think that's that's really the the, the case now. It's more and more uh, important. Media's are you know starting to go there. It's not hundred percent done. I would say it's still you know ongoing. Uh, you know, doing thinkings and all probably for some more advanced media in terms of strategies, you know, they, 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 they want to go there. Um, but you need also to, I think to me, it's really a matter of, of targeting the right audience and sending them the right, you know, pushing them the right offer. Um, someone who goes to your website once a day, once every two days, that's really engaged. You know, you can push them like a, a premium offer or you can start with a simple offer and then try to, offer some, you know, more benefits, less ads and all, but for someone who doesn't come that often to websites, um, you still want to offer some, you know, like cheap subscription, for example, and then uh, you can push ads. And what's really interesting with that is that you, once you push, uh, well, subscription, like cheap subscription, uh, quote unquote, but also registration, like free registration, then you know your audience better. Um, and then, so you have data. Uh, way more data, you have way more knowledge to your audience, and then you can start pushing paid subscriptions. So, uh, one of the things, so we spoke to Toolkit's Jack Marshall earlier this year, and, and one of the things he said about this sort of this rush to subscriptions is that there were probably quite a few publishers who launched subscription models that maybe they weren't quite right for that particular publisher. Um, Anthony, I'm, I'm curious to know, do you think that there are types of publishers that subscriptions work for, and perhaps types that should look at alternative models? That's really interesting. I think that. For them, there might be, or for, for, you know, different, different kind of media companies. Um, having a subscription model could really impact, uh, at some point your en engagement metrics. Um, people will come less often, uh, et cetera, but it's really a matter of what value proposition you can offer. Of course, how are you different from the competition? Um, but yeah, for, for some media, as, as Quartz did, for example, they really focus on premium users. Uh, which is, I think, a good strategy. They can go with sponsored content, affiliation links. So that's really like new, well, not new, but um, diversification through different revenue streams. Um, that's work really, and uh, that can work along a subscription, but only for your kind of your super fans. You know, you yeah. go like extra features, uh, um, some tech savvy uh, media or audiences could, you know, could like to have a uh, Premium Discord server open, for example, community features, uh, things like that. 
See, I think that's so interesting because that speaks to this changing sentiment around what drive subscriptions that we've seen over the past couple of years. Whereas once it was exclusively, oh, people pay for that hard news, and now we're going back to what's driving it is being extras as well. So if you look at what's driving the NYT, it's crosswords, it's um, cooking, it's that parenting vertical that they have now. Peter, where do you see we are in terms of you know using subscriptions to maybe subsidize the news rather than making the news the product that people subscribe to? I th- well, I think you're right. I think it's about evolution rather than what before seemed to be like revolution. So now people are New York Times are bored talking about, but adding adding that well, and adding well, that. then you need to bring them down because otherwise their success means that we're going to talk about them forever. Obviously, they nobody can replicate what they've done pretty much. Well, that's but the they point. are still the poster boy for some of this. Yeah, they, well, they hmm, are they. No, are they? Are you saying that because of the athletic? Yeah. Right. <laughs> okay. Explain why. <laughs> Fundamentally, well, because they just bought, they just bought subscribers, and they bought subscribers with Wordle. And okay, that's slightly different, but you know, before, so I don't know how far ahead we want to get here, but before, when people talked about subscriptions, you're right. It was you know, subscribe now, get the best quality content out there. And then it kind of shifted a little bit and it became, you know, subscribe now, become part of this community, subscribe now, support the news. And the messaging got a little bit more complicated. Now, what is the New York Times messaging? Subscribe now and get recipes, subscribe now and get Wordle, subscribe now and get sports, subscribe. What, what is the messaging? I think that, I think their messaging is subscribe now and get everything. Yeah, well, Get all of that. Try, try to be everything to everyone and you're screwed. Particularly in subscriptions, that was Anthony's point about the quartz, right? Quartz was stuck in the middle, in that mushy middle that we talk about. So quartz, I think, at least had the balls to say, nah, let's just do this a different way. Mm. I'm not saying the New York Times is doing anything wrong. I really am. And clearly they're not doing anything wrong. Peter slams New York Times. (laughs) Um. I just don't think there's too much that other people can learn from the New York Times anymore. Mm. Okay, so where where should we be looking then for some of that innovative subscription success? Okay, so I don't want to dominate this conversation, but I think people need to be looking at some of the the smaller players. We had Charlotte Schaefer's on from uh, Rolling Stone UK, and she said some really interesting stuff about niche archive content. Yeah. Now, any good publisher has niche archive content, right? Mm -hmm. And if you can use that to drive and to differentiate, again, come back to what Anthony says about differentiation. If you can use that archive content, that's something that everyone can learn from. Um, There was a guy, I'm getting on to my moments, specific thing here, but um, there's a guy uh, that wrote for editor and publisher. Um, And he was from the Daily Beast. And one of the things that he's he's saying is that I think this is such an important line: data is your bow, communication is your arrow. You know, so that idea that you get all this data and you know who you're talking to, but the mm-hmm. only way you can actually make hay <laughs> is if you target these people really, really carefully with communication, and that's where I think we can learn. And that's from all sorts saying. of people. 
like the Guardian's done an amazing job on a different model. Mm. There are a lot of mixed metaphors in that. I was going to say, yeah, Uh, who's Legolas in this metaphor? Who's Gimli? Make hay with your bow and an arrow and, um, yeah, the sun will shine. So, Anthony, from what you've seen then, uh, has messaging around subscriptions shifted from um, that kind of very one-size-fits-all, pay for this and you get X in return, Mm -hmm. to a sort of more membership-based mentality, I suppose, around subscriptions? Also, what's really interesting from from what Peter was saying as well, uh, that's... You need to put yourself on your audience shoes. I think that's what always what I, you know, try to tell to the publishers that I work with. You need to know your audience, and that's why it's on specific features, um, the archive, for example. But there could be other things. Um, you need to know these kind of of things people will, you know, enjoy paying for uh, or becoming members. And then you push that to the specific segments. Um, and that's, that's really why also the, there's no one size fits all for sure. Um, and you need to, to create engagement for that. Otherwise you you only have anonymous users and from them, you cannot really learn anything. People who, you know, will come from, um, from Google, from, uh, from search engines, they will probably come to your website for the news. Uh, they will, you know, uh, be there once and then leave the site um, and maybe come back later, but uh, you don't have any info for, you know, to tag, to really know more about them and target them specifically. So uh, engagement to me is key. Uh, there was a, an example from uh, the independent who mentioned that um, registered members have 11 times, showed 11 times more engagement than anonymous readers. Um, and also the, prop- the propensity to subscribe is uh, is crazy as well. So um, that that's really interesting for you know for the, the registration um, and registration also helps you for different business models, of course. Uh, so for the propensity to subscribe, as we just said, um, those kind of people you you build trust with them, you build a relationship, so they will come more often. You can send them automated emails newsletters and so on. So, you know, it creates engagement, but uh, overall it creates a relationship and and um, and an, an engagement, sorry. Um, but then also it helps advertising as the more you know your, your audience, um, the more you could send them specified, you know, uh, specific offers, uh, specific links, um, sponsored content, uh, also show them different ads, specific ads and the revenue uh, the average revenue per user will be much higher than uh, it is for anonymous users. So I think it's a win-win situation for registration here, and uh, um, but free registration, I mean, you know, and then you can try to push uh, paid subscription to people who are who are willing to pay and ready to pay. One of the things that's interesting about that is that idea of revenue per subscriber. You know, Nick Nick Thompson um, at the Atlantic talked a lot earlier in the year about focusing on subscriber revenue rather than subscriber numbers and that you know i'm again coming back to the new york times they're maybe coming at this i'm sure they're focused on subscriber revenue as well but scale is a big driver for them whereas nick thompson at the atlantic is saying he's focused on actual money per subscriber and if that's your subscription value is higher than it used to be then well done but also if you're mixing that in with advertising revenues then you win that 
I find some of these discussions really kind of bizarre because that is how magazine publishing worked and newspaper publishing worked in the past. This is not, you know, we're not reinventing anything here. We're just returning to something that used to be there. Um, but I, I think that individual revenues is really important. I think the, for me, the, the last word on this um, this whole sort of trend this year of everything potentially slowing down is um, actually, and I know this possibly feeds into bigger discussions I know we'll have later about trust and news fatigue and things, but the um, the Times signed up an average of a 1,000 new digital subscribers every day during the first two weeks of Russia's attack on Ukraine. So I think if you've got good reporting, if you've got a good product that people want to subscribe to, um, the, the wave is far from over. Right. And the value proposition is so important because the, the news could be found everywhere, kind of. Well, not, yeah. you know, all news, but the, the generic news can be found everywhere. It's then the opinions, the, the way you, you treat information. So there's really, there needs to be a strong relationship between, of course, you know, acquisition, uh, marketing and, uh, and uh, the editorial team, of course. But do we think there is a rising propensity to pay that people's increasing habituation to pay for stuff online is going to have a significant impact on subscriptions over the next couple of years? Are we still seeing a bit of a lag on that when it comes to news, do you think? I think there's an impact. Is it a significant impact or a hard one? I think, again, it depends so much on the markets. UK and the US are very different from other places in Europe. Um you know, we've seen how Scandinavia, the Nordic countries, will pay more than than in the UK or, or in the States. And I think part of that is about alternatives. You know, in the UK, we've got alternatives for news. We, and we've talked about that so many times. But I do think people are slowly but surely becoming more used to paying for stuff, whatever mm. it is. You know, again, I mentioned... Um, I don't know, food recipes, food kits. People are mm. subscribing to socks and, and food kits. and Or your BMW heated seats now. Yeah. I th- so, I've got my, um, oh God, that's ridiculous. I forgot about that. <laughs> I've got my hot sauce subscription box still. That's that's never going. Anthony, what outside of news are you subscribing to? Uh, well, some uh, French media, of course. Mm. Um, well, the New Yorker also. Um, I think, well... I would say to add to the discussion, I think long term, uh, the, the the share of you know a of the household budget dedicated to digital subscription is gonna uh, go yeah. up, of course. But short term, with the, you know the inflation and the economic context, uh, and also the fact that there's more and more uh, companies that you know launch subscription, I think people kind of start to uh, you know just to churn uh, on some of those. Uh, as we can see from Netflix and, and you know, some of the, the, the main platforms. Um, but that's really the case everywhere. Also, there is a trend that, that we can see from, uh, from, from some media companies that people, you know, will subscribe, but then, um, they will, they will leave, uh, during the first, during the first week or the first few days. Because at the end, they just wanted to read a specific article and then that's fine. Yeah. So, uh, like the, the onboarding is so important. Uh, the uh, email, Automation, you have an ascend, the, mm. the whole welcoming thing of your new subscriber. Um, and also you can reduce the, uh, the churn. So it's, it's way easier to keep a subscriber than acquiring a new, new one. Some, you know, will have the, the credit card, who's, which is going to, 
to expire. So you could try to mm. push a message to them. So things like that. But um, yeah, I think the, the discussion is shifting a little bit from acquisition to retention. <laughs> but keeping them now is not easy. Well, we talked about, I, don't, I can't remember when we talked about this, but that's the subscription audit that we did. Yeah. And it was like, oh my God, how much are we spending on subscriptions that we'd forgot we were spending? And I think every household, more or less, is going to be doing a similar sort of exercise at some point in the next few months, 12 months, yeah. six months, whatever it is. Yeah. So that's where that like communication really, really comes down. You know, why am I spending this money? Why am I giving you my whatever it is, nine ninety nine a month? But you know, Chris, you've said specifically retention strategies are important, and I think that is exactly where anyone who's smart is putting all their energy. I mentioned Charlotte Schaefer's earlier from UK Rolling Stone, and that was one of the things that she talked about was that idea of surfacing value. It's not about just creating value, it's about surfacing value, and that's a huge part of retention. Um, and I mentioned Richard Brown at the Daily Beast. Um, he he says that that idea of communication and, and building trust by engaging consistently is a really big deal. Mm. Uh, anyway, you know, Hansen mentioned... Uh, email marketing automation that you, you need part of what Jack Marshall was talking about about people about publishers not getting it right in subscription it wasn't necessarily the offering it was also about how they were communicating the offering or not communicating them. yeah exactly um, and putting that infrastructure in place they rushed his point was that publishers rushed to put out a subscription offering mm. and it maybe wasn't right for the audience because it wasn't targeted probably it wasn't communicated probably maybe the elements that made up the subscription or membership weren't exactly right for the audience the data and the insight hadn't been looked at properly so i think that idea of keeping it simple communicating your value and building trust by engaging consistently is massive but also the idea of evolution you know so tech plays a huge part in this because it's about the data, it's about looking at behaviors, it's about looking at engagement numbers. And then using the tech, you know, again, you, you mentioned propensity to pay by market, but actually propensity to pay individually is a massive driver for a lot of subscription yeah. people. You know, the FT has got all sorts of signals that they say, okay, you're ready to pay. Mm. And they jump mm. on that with a different kind of messaging. Yeah, it's always uh, really surprising when when it's the first time you visit a website and you you are asked to to pay. You know, it's like yeah. it's so odd. Yeah, you you you're not gonna do that for your first no. <laughs> I think the onboarding process is usually lacking a bit of uh, of humanity, perhaps. You know, like what what would you like uh, mm. to receive once you become a subscriber you want to be part of a, of a community really so yeah i think adding some community features uh, you know spe specific not necessary forums but parts of your um, of your website having strong uh, strong membership features uh, you know the ability to select the newsletter you would like to receive uh, what's the frequency of that um, well you know having perhaps dozens of different newsletters that could be interesting because you can mm. of them. Uh, but really, the, the onboarding process usually is, is, is a little bit weak. Uh, that's that's right. what I, I found out on, 
by by working with some you know some major media companies they they put so much energy on uh, you know acquiring the, the the customer but then it's a little bit like <laughs> you you are led you know led by yourself and you yeah. don't receive any guidance so. it doesn't make you feel valued or worthwhile if you do it that way exactly but actually what i think we've done there is really neatly set the context up for what we're going to talk about now which is some of our key media moments from the past year and i was really interested earlier to to read about some of the different read revenue strategies that publishers across europe are putting in place for some of those audience cohorts who don't necessarily already pay for news or aren't willing to pay full price let's say for a, for a new subscription um and i felt like a broken record on the podcast in the past pointing out things that, you know, just saying good journalism expensive is the beginning of the discussion, it's not the end, and that it's not a good justification for a universal hard paywall. However, I think that luckily things are beginning to shift over the past couple of years and that smarter people have begun experimenting with new membership and revenue models. We can think of a dozen off the top of my head that recognize that approach was too blunt an instrument. Um, so there was a really, really good article from the Reuters Institute that pointed out that half of news leaders now think that journalism is only serving the super rich and more educated audiences and that poorer audiences with fewer opportunities just have to take their chances. Basically, they just have to sort of like fend for themselves out there in the, in the wide world of dis and misinformation. Uh, so it's great to see some of those experiments. One that particularly stuck out to me was um, Dagens Nete, which is in Stockholm, has opened access uh, to some of its content around some of those particularly hard news moments over the past couple of years. So periods of breaking news or uncertainty like the Capitol riots, which is interesting for a Stockholm-based business, obviously, and during the COVID-19 pandemic. And actually, as a result of the latter, they got 300,000 free registrations, of which 25% converted into paying subscribers later on. That's demonstrating value in such a tangible way, isn't it? I think that what that means for publishers is that it's demonstrably possible to serve your journalistic mandate to keep the public informed, but then use that as a hook to yeah. convert people into subscribing. And 25% is great. I, I think it's like you'd said, because I, I know we discussed that this had happened quite a lot during the pandemic. You know, you saw people like the FT, um, the Times, that there were an awful lot in the UK that dropped their paywalls for that. Um, I don't yeah. know if that's now, has that sort of enabled the floodgates and it may, it's made them feel more comfortable about perhaps doing that for other big world news moments. Um, Possibly. I mean, I, I remember we had a huge argument. Like we've had arguments <laughs> with people in the past about whether it was ever justified to drop your paywall. Not like as a, you know, justified to drop your paywall in terms of like, you know, a significant news event, but ever, which I thought was such a ridiculous absolutist view of that. And yet now it seems like people are, Esther, to your point, taking much more of a nuanced view on when you can actually extend that kind of antenna of your, your coverage outside of the paywall to demonstrate the value of the subscription as a whole. Uh, so, uh, yeah, about the um, the Air uh, magazine case study was what's really interesting for them that they wanted to uh, go for a, a strong subscription strategy, but of course they were at the same time scared of uh, bringing their uh, advertising revenue down, of course. Yeah. That's the, the, the classic, you know, uh, the classic discussion. So they, they wanted to go smooth and starting by uh, having a really strong registration uh, period during which they, you know, um, blocked some content, uh, told their, you know, their, uh, well, asked the, 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 the most engaged users to create an account, have, you know, gain benefits and uh, unblock the content. And so with that strategy, um, 
at you know over time they uh, they they release the, the subscription the paid subscription I mean to to those members and then generally for everyone uh, through a freemium uh, uh, strategy and. Through that, they, they've been able to increase the, um, the advertising revenue and at the same time, uh, have a strong, stronger revenue, uh, with the, you know, the subscription. So that's, that was really the, the, the best case study that they could yeah. mix yeah. both. Um, they were able to do that, you know, using the, the reader ID, which, which led them, um, having a better knowledge of their audience as well. Uh, get to know better the audience by using a specific ID after people create an account. So they were able to put the specific offers to them. And also, uh, of course, um, showing them more specific ads, more interesting ads for them specifically in, and then increasing their, uh, the revenue they get, they get from the, from the, from the, from the, from the Esther, there is a, you had some questions about that, particularly with regards to the digital news report, didn't you? Yeah. I think that the digital news report suggested that news publishers um, in particular struggle to even get registrations. I know we've talked a lot about the benefits of registration walls, um, but they found that just 28% of people on average are, regist are registered with a news website because news is so freely available everywhere. Um, I suppose my question was, is this why publishers go into other products like cooking <laughs> and um, mm -hmm. games, or actually is there is there a bit more to it than that? I would say you could you could do that if you're like the New York Times, of course. You can start buying companies and and doing things that target a specific niche uh, audience, and that's for them. I think that's that's a great strategy to expand their audience to millennials and all. Um, but of course, like there can be niche audiences, but I think having specific sections on your website that you know people are willing to subscribe more, for example, like the politics section or um, I don't know, sports section or some specific subsections if you are a specialized media, um, that's really valuable to push them like a specific value proposition. Uh, what are the benefits of subscribing specifically for this kind of, of section, you know, uh, specific mm -hmm. content? That's really something we... We saw had a great, like we had great uh, success for this kind for, for the media who who use this strategy, um, breaking down your sections and uh, showing the value proposition, but retailed to the content people are actively reading. I got on the face of it, that seems so simple, but I suppose in practice, it actually takes endless like experimentation, iterations to make sure that you're actually doing it effectively. <laughs> Peter, you you spoken about Charlotte Schaefer's there. Mm. Is there anything else that you sort of want to bring up about? I just think this year is the year that people have properly started talking about retention. Mm. You know, I know it came up last year off the back of oh, the pan they sort of coming out the other side of the pandemic and the renewals kicking in. But, it, you know, it was, it's just got more and more and more important this year because of the cost of living crisis. <laughs> and it is only going to get more important. I I don't know why I laughed. Because <laughs> the crisis is horrible. It was just, I know that this time next year, we're going to be having discussions about exactly. how many people masked a sort of lackluster strategy around retention so by saying it was all related to the cost of living crisis. This, despite the, what you lot always say, I am actually an optimist in this. Mm. I'm not a cynic. I'm not a pessimist. I think this could be good for the subscription scene, the subscription membership, because it's going to focus people on delivering value. It's going to focus people to talk about the value that they deliver. It's going to focus people on making new products and introducing new products. 
or in the New York Times case, acquiring new products. Well, yeah, there you go. You know, so that idea, it's not about peak subscription. That's just a clock. You know, peaks and pivots are like the two most annoying publishing <laughs> terms ever. It's not about peak subscriptions. It's about, um, you know, the market probably reaching a maturity that you actually have to deal with market conditions rather than just this wish fulfillment exercise that so many <laughs> publishers go through. Yeah. And I think that idea of pressure on, you know, pressure on delivering value, it's a, it's a real motivation. It's a motivation for making your content as good as it possibly can be, surrounding it with services that are worth paying for, uh, looking at your tech, looking at your messaging, just doing subscriptions prop. You want nature red in tooth and claw, but for subscriptions, don't you? Uh, but I, I think sustainability is a really big issue. Mm. Just because you know, just because a publication exists doesn't mean it has the right to exist forever. You know, so I think that kind of constant evolution thing, you know, whether that's dynamic paywalls that ties into what you were talking about a second ago, mm. or whether it's just getting a proper marketing communications program around these things. So that I don't have one moment for 2022. I just think 2022 is the year that subscription conversation actually got real. All right. See, that's interesting. And I think that what you said slightly before really ties neatly into Esther's because we've spoken about the NYT <laughs> quite, quite a lot early on. But what was it about their strategy this year that you think makes it deserving of being a medium moment that'll go in the report? Well, I didn't think we were going to talk about the New York Times. That was um, that was all organic <laughs> conversation. So I thought I had to include it as my medium moment because we couldn't discuss subscriptions and not talk about the New York Times because um, they are, whether we like it or not, the I suppose the, the dominant um the dominant publisher in terms of a strategy. Um uh, and actually this year they had a big moment in particular when they acquired the athletic after mm. a lot of kind of backwards and forwards. The athletic were in talks with all sorts of people um about a potential acquisition. And then the New York Times sort of went, but you know, a bit will they, won't they? And then they they acquired them. Um, which helped them reach their goal of 10 million subscriptions ahead of schedule, apparently. Uh, because the Athletic had 1.2 million um, on on their books. <laughs> Peter, Peter is doing some significant air quoting there for the listeners' benefit. So when, when I was researching this, I actually got quite confused because their most recent earnings report said that their subscriber numbers now stand at 9.17 million. And I thought, that's quite a way off 10 million. But actually what they're doing now is they're distinguishing between subscribers and subscriptions. So you can have a subscription to their news product and a subscription to their cooking product. And that's two subscriptions, but you are one mm. subscriber. And actually, that is quite an important distinction if you're offering those multiple products. Um, because you can't just sort of you can't inflate all the numbers to help you say you've reached a certain goal. Actually, it is important to distinguish between how many individual people do you have on your books. And it goes back a bit to the revenue thing. Again, if you've got somebody that's taking out two or three subscriptions with you, they're an incredibly valuable person to have on your books. Well, actually, Anthony, I know you, you touched on this before, but you would say, I think, that it's it's more important to have a, a sort of smaller, more engaged core of subscribers, isn't it, than kind of that fly-by-night mass market appeal. T targeting your fans and your, your super fans like that is always a good idea, I would say. Um, what is also a, a trend I, I kind of noticed is that you start by uh, um, offering a, uh, you know, like a, a really um, standard subscription, like a cheap subscription, and then you can you can do some upselling. 
Absolutely. And I think that's quite a nice way to round off the discussion there because that is such a fundamental um, approach to doing subscriptions well. And it doesn't matter which year we were doing that, that would always be kind of the, the core component of what it means to do subscriptions and membership really, really well. Well, thank you so much to Anthony for joining us on this special episode of Media Voices. Thank you so much for coming on and actually sharing some of your expertise. And additionally, thanks to Pool, Membership and Subscription Suite, for sponsoring this entire season of Media Voices and the upcoming Media Moments 22 report. Esther, where can people find out more about that report? And, I believe, pre-register. Yeah, so if you want to pre-register to download that that report, uh, you can go to voices.media slash mm22. Very nice. And if you want to find out more about Pool itself, you can go to p-triple-o-l.tech. That's pool.tech. And we're going to link to them from our show notes as well at voices.media. Well, next week, we're going to be back with another deep dive into a huge media topic that we're going to feature in Media Moments 2022. But for now, thank you so much and goodbye. Thank you. Goodbye. Goodbye.